Episode 65 with uh, our guest is Tom Midler today. He's the presenter of the Other Bundesliga, a podcast on the Austrian top tier. Uh, Tom is also a presenter with Borussia Dortmund and uh, UEFA and has also worked with the Asian Football Federation. He is a Brit who studied in University of North Carolina and he also has worked for Rapid Wien, the 32-time Austrian champions. Tom, tell us a bit about yourself and thank you so much for being our guest today. Hi, yeah, it's a pleasure to be on. Um, so I moved to Austria oh, almost 10 years ago now, and I've been doing a lot of work with Austrian football, but um, I'm also uh, one of the commentators for BVB TFAL, so it is an absolute pleasure of mine to uh, be able to commentate on some of Borussia Dortmund's matches in the Bundesliga, in the Champions League, that kind of thing. And uh, yeah, I've already done one match this season, the game against Cologne, and I'm generally uh, I generally seem to be a bit of a good luck charm, so hopefully I'll get to do a few more matches in the uh, in the next few months. Absolutely spectacular. What brought you out to the United States? Um, so I studied out there. I was studying acting at the time. I'm a, a trained professional actor and I've worked for about 10, uh, more than that now, 10, 11 years as a professional actor. And at some point... Um, I was doing acting, I was doing radio work, and I was also doing sports reporting sort of as my second job, as my side career. And then commentary became this this really nice middle ground of something that I really wanted to do. And, you know, I've had sort of voice training and I've, I'm used to working live and uh, I love working with sports. So commentary was a, a perfect thing to, to be able to get into. And I did lots of practice and worked hard and got a bit of luck along the way. And now I can, yeah, commentate on, on quite a few games, thankfully. Stunning. And working with Borussia Dortmund must be pretty awesome. As you know, it's the Dortmund London Fan Club podcast. Um, so um, what's it actually like working with BVB? Well, I actually work through uh, an international organization. So BVB uh, send out their their games in terms of the, the website and the TV coverage in English to be um, yeah, to be taken care of, I suppose, by a studio, which I'm part of. So I don't really work very closely with the people at Borussia Dortmund, but every time I've been there, the people have been very nice. The stadium, as I'm sure most of the listeners will know, is, is truly one of the holy grails of, of European football, if not world football. And uh, yes, the Gelbe van, the yellow wall, it's just, uh, it's a pleasure to be able to commentate for fans, knowing that the games mean so much and, and that there's, there's so much riding on the games and you know every every time they go out there especially in those home games it's it's just a brilliant atmosphere and it's it's electric and it's a pleasure to be involved with it absolutely stunning um so we're on the show today to talk about the champions league draw and Borussia Dortmund have got quite a group ahead of them they're calling it the group of death um so I guess we should get cracking before we come to uh the new signings of the summer and also um, a brief look at the Austrian players that have played for Borussia Dortmund. But before we get to that, um, just talk briefly about your podcast, which I think is absolutely amazing and it's been really, really successful, hasn't it? Thanks very much. Yeah, um, it has been really nice. We had the fortune of being in a little niche and I was living here, as I said, being um, a, a sports reporter, working with interviews for a lot of UEFA competitions and things like that and just writing up a lot of interviews, that kind of thing, um, the kind of freelance thing that you can do from anywhere. But I'm definitely the kind of football fan and the kind of football enjoyer who wants to focus on what's around me. So for example, the games here in, in Vienna, in Austria, became more important to me once I moved here than Sure. Than things outside or you know than things maybe back in England for example mm -hmm. or, or in the US so I got involved with the clubs here and I had some friends already some friends who I worked closely with and, and we were all well actually I didn't work closely with them then <laughs> we were all working in separate jobs but everything was mm -hmm. sort of freelance and related to sports and I think one day back in about 2017 or 18 I just said why don't mm -hmm. we start a podcast? You know, we know how to edit audio. We've got recording equipment. Why don't we do a podcast in English, um, which is sort of our journey of getting to know the Austrian Bundesliga because it's quite, uh, 
an unknown league in a sense, isn't it? But um, mm. but there's loads of great players here. There's loads of great games, some great stadiums, and you know it's been up as high as number eight in the in the European league ranking. So we thought, let's get to know it. Let's uh, let's get to know the games around us and the players around us, and and it's gone from strength to strength. So it's been a really fun journey, and as you can imagine, Austria is a really nice country to travel around. So okay. yes, you, you can find us at the other Bundesliga podcast. Yeah, I, I actually lived in uh, in Vienna for a year as well as an Erasmus student um, on my undergraduate degree, and uh, I was very interested to see the match between Austria Salzburg and um, Red Bull Salzburg. I don't know if that's taken place already, but um, I think it was a cup match. Am I right? That's right. Yeah, good spot on that one. Actually, it's uh, later in September. The game, so it hasn't taken place yet. But yeah, that's going to be one of the most hotly anticipated games in Austria, certainly since I've moved here. It's a second round cup game. Austria Salzburg, the, the Phoenix club coming out of the organization that, that was taken over by Red Bull and yes. sort of morphed into Red Bull Salzburg. So in terms of a rivalry, it like couldn't be bigger, basically. Um, I'm not sure what's going to go down in that game. And unfortunately, it's been very um, difficult trying to find a stadium to, to host such a game. But um, it will take place later in September and we can't wait. Absolutely stunning. Yeah, it's really exciting. And um I think it's Die Lila Weissen, isn't it? The the purple and white, um, the original Austria Salzburg football club, very much like AFC Wimbledon, a newly founded fan club. And uh, yeah, against the uh, big moneyed um, Salzburg, uh, RB Salzburg. So um, let's go straight on to the Champions League draw, which took place last night. And since then, we've had the Europa League draw and the Europa Conference League draw this afternoon, again, with some really interesting ties. But um, let's focus on um, Borussia Dortmund's group to start with, um, might as well. Um, so Group F, um, they've got Paris Saint-Germain again since 2020. Um, that iconic moment when Erling Haaland scored and then did his meditation pose in front of the PSG fans, which was not popular at all. Um, that will be a, 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 a re-meet a re with um, Ousmane Dembélé. Um, who, of course, they sold to Barcelona for 130 million, and also Ashra Hakimi, who I can never really uh, quite get over us having sold in the first place. Um, I think they should have broken the bank and spent it the 40, 40, 44 million that we were looking for at the time. Um, that I think it was Real Madrid we were looking for at the time. But anyway, and then uh, also a, um, a rematch with AC Milan, who we've played since the 1950s 11 times already. Um, we're tied in terms of wins, three three wins apiece. Should be an exciting match. For the fan club, we're going to be having a meet-up with the AC Milan London fan club and also a football match, 11 aside. And then the mighty Newcastle United at St. James's Park. Um, obviously, that will be a fantastic trip for the London fan club to go up to um, Newcastle and see the Magpies. Um, have, you, have you got any more? What, what are your thoughts on the on Group F, basically, who do you see going through? I think it is a bit of a group of death, isn't it? When you look around at the other groups, that is a really, really tough group. Getting Newcastle out of pot four is arguably the kind of the biggest, most powerful club in pot four. So it's a tough one for Dortmund. Um, in terms of places to go, though, uh, I'm happy for you. As you said, <laughs> you know, it should be very much doable to get up to Newcastle for at least one of those games. But for me... Uh, the meeting with AC Milan, um, Christian Pulisic as well, uh, you know, a, a revival of, uh, of kind of relationships between Dortmund and, and Pulisic. That. And uh, as much as I, I love um, the Westfalenstadion, actually, I was at the uh, San Siro last season for Salzburg against uh, Milan. And I really think that the San Siro, uh, you know, long may it remain in Milan as the stadium there. That's just an incredible place to go. So I would urge anybody to get out there if they haven't been able to see a game there. Uh, San Siro on a Champions League night is, is something very, very special. Maybe one of the Hello. very few stadia in Europe that can, can actually rival the Westfalenstadion in terms of atmosphere. Nice. Absolutely. A ground that's shared between Inter Milan and AC Milan which seems to work pretty well. And um, I gather they are trying to build a new stadium, but um, I'm not quite sure how advanced those plans are. As you say, it's Christian Pulisic, the American, um, uh, very much a fan favourite at B4B that they sold on to Chelsea. And he's had a sort of semi-good career since then, but hasn't really taken off. I hope that it really works out for him. I understand his grandmother is Italian, so he's really jazzed to be in, in Milan now. 
Um, but also Alex Isak as well, that Dortmund sold quite young. They bought from AIK Stockholm, sold him on to Real Sociedad. He did very, very well in Spain. And then it became a massive signing for Newcastle United. And obviously the Magpies have got huge amounts of money like PSG from um, from the Middle East. So in some ways it's a, you know, with the, with the Chinese backing of AC Milan, so Dortmund, the only sort of... Uh, you know, small club, let's say, in Group F. Um, who do you see going through in Group F? Personally, um, I'd love to see Dortmund go through in second. I think possibly we've got a chance of a third-place finish, though. I don't really see us being able to get past uh, Paris Saint-Germain and uh, Newcastle United. It definitely looks like a difficult group in terms of uh, giving too much of a hopeful outcome, unfortunately. I mean, I can see Dortmund getting one of the top two positions. I suppose what I always think with groups like this, especially groups of death, uh, which you can call this one, when you put it sort of in ranking order and you think, okay, well, Paris Saint-Germain probably will win that one. And then maybe AC Milan second, Dortmund third, Newcastle fourth. If you rank it like that, or, or, or maybe even in the pot order, it almost never ends up in that order. There's always somebody else who actually wins the group. And it's not... I don't imagine it's going to be one of those groups where you have PSG, for example, winning the group with almost maximum points. I think it might be a group where people are taking points off each other, left, right, and center, and just banking some crucial results at home could play things into the favor of the black and yellows. So I definitely don't rule them out in terms of a top two finish. It's really hard to say because you can't do that, the, the normal thing and look at the pot four team and say, well, I think they'll finish fourth. You know, Newcastle are kind of an unknown quantity. Newcastle Dortmund feels like a, a late 90s Champions League tie in many ways. So lots of exciting games. And I think Dortmund will, will aim for the top two and, and they'll have every right to believe that they can get there. Absolutely. Yeah. Some, uh, some thrilling nights ahead in, in Group F. And um, certainly I think Dortmund are in with a chance of picking up some points against Milan in both games, the home and away match, I think. Um, and um, and also, <clears throat> I think that you know we've shown in the past that we can take points of just about anybody, and um, indeed did against PSG at the Dortmund Westfalen Stadion. Um, going on um, to look at uh, the rest of the groups. Um, firstly, let me ask you: Who do you fancy for the title this year? Is it going to be Manchester City again for you, or perhaps uh, Harry Kane's uh, Bayern München, um, or would you see? someone else picking up, uh, picking up the title. I mean, um, there's, there's some very, very, very good sides in the, in, in the Champions League as ever this year. There really are, but um, I think I will have to go back to what you said initially there and say, just at the moment, the way that they're playing, the squad that they've assembled, the manager that they've got in charge, I can't see anybody beating Manchester City. And it's unfortunate. I don't like to say that. I don't say that with any great uh, joy, unfortunately. But I think whoever knocks them out, mm-hmm. if anyone is able to do it, it would be a massive shock. And you can already talk about a team that, you know, were they to lose the final, it would already be a huge shock if, if they were to finish essentially second in this Champions League. So I think yes. they're the defending champions there. They've got this target on their backs, but they've been handed another relatively easy group. It seems to be uh, something that, uh, I remember Manchester United often got, got weaker groups back in the day. I'm, I'm not talking any kind of conspiracy theories here, but it often seems to happen, um, especially... Yes when you're these big sides, you know, and they've renewed rivalries again with, with Leipzig and, uh, you know, getting young boys as well from Switzerland in pot four. Um, Sylvana Zvezda from Belgrade in pot three. Belgrade. Yes, exactly. It's not a, uh, it's not a tough group, is it? In that sense for Man City, you'd expect that they'll be able to cruise through that. Uh, Quite a few players will be able to pick up some goals and some confidence and they'll be coming into the knockout stages with, with uh, you know in full swing so I think they will take some stopping I think so too and to be frank I mean we were wanting to look at some of the big transfers as well um, and correct me if I'm wrong but um, Josko Gradiol and Dominic Sobolai uh, now uh, at least one of those has gone to Manchester City uh, if not both of them you correct me now because I think one of them is at Manchester United in fact uh, Sobolai has gone to Liverpool Liverpool there you go from Leipzig, yeah, and Gradiol's gone also from Leipzig, who've lost a lot of players this uh, in this Indeed. transfer window. Uh, Gradiol's gone to to City, yeah, for about I think it's about ninety million euros, so a very expensive uh, young centre back. But by all accounts, he he's apparently, uh, I mean, he's always looked like this for the last few years as well. But basically, he's regarded as the the very best centre back in the world, Gradiol. So um, just the kind of signing that that Manchester City could look to you know they need some pretty seriously good talent if they're going to improve the squad that they've got and Gradiol fits that mold 
Absolutely right. I think that's one of the big um, big transfers of the summer, and we'll be um, peppering the um, the show with uh, some more transfer news. Um, and so going back to the groups, so that's Group G, Group F covered. Let's go to Bayern München's group in Group A, as you mentioned before, Manchester United in the group with Copenhagen, Galatasaray and Bayern. Um, personally, I think Bayern have done a very interesting signing with Daniel Peretz, the Maccabi Tel Aviv uh, Israel international goalkeeper. Um, and I think that uh, they've spent a hell of a lot of money on Harry Kane. It's great to have him in the Bundesliga, obviously. And Nabi Keita being another uh, formerly England-based player that's really exciting to have in the Bundesliga. Bundesliga is starting to look um, more and more sexy this season with some really, really top players in it, don't you think? Yeah, there were some brilliant signings. I like who you picked out there in Keita. That was seen as a bit of a left-field signing um, moving from Liverpool to Werder Bremen. But I think he's a real uh, Verstärkung. You know, he's a real strengthener for, for Werder Bremen. It's a, it's a great transfer for them. Somebody playing in that very, the sort of the older Red Bull mould. You know, you can see that he had that that experience uh, in his younger days uh, in the Red Bull football school. Um, he's very direct, gets forward. And if teams like Werder Bremen are, are making signings like that, it, it does, as you say, it increases the, the quality yeah. of the league and increases the, the attractiveness of the league in many ways. And to look to Bayern in Group A, um, I'm yeah. kind of excited to see what they'll do in one sense. Obviously, in the Bundesliga, um, I'm, I'm less excited because I think it's quite foreboding the fact that they've been able yeah. to sign Harry Kane and they've splashed the cash on Kane. Um, you felt like Bayern had a few missing pieces last season and they yeah. were perhaps vulnerable and they seem to have acted very swiftly and quite decisively, although the, the Kane transfer itself was very protracted and took a long time. They seem mm. to have overall acted very swiftly and um, had a good summer. And I think with the, the strengthening of, of Kane in the squad, they will uh, he will get a lot of goals for them this season. And you wonder if they will show the same vulnerabilities in the Bundesliga as they did uh, last year. Yes. And in, in the group, it's a really nice test for them. You know, it's a glamour tie, really, Bayern against uh, Manchester United. Uh, absolutely a, a, a glamour tie. Absolutely. Um, You'd make Bayern, I, well, I personally would make Bayern München the favourites for that one. Um, Galatasaray, always an interesting one, always a difficult place to go. Copenhagen, a, a stronger team than many think, I believe. I think Copenhagen are a good team, but you'd imagine yeah, that, yeah. that Bayern München shouldn't be too troubled by, by either Galatasaray or, or Copenhagen, or I believe Manchester United, actually. Absolutely. Yeah, I was up at Old Trafford for the opening game of the season um, against Wolverhampton Wanderers. And it is a formidable stadium, I think, for me, after the Santiago Bernabeu and Westfalen Stadium, probably the best stadium I've ever been to. Um, and <clears throat> I think that, um, you know, I mean, there's obviously lots of history there, Bayern, Manchester United, 1958 plane crash and so on, and it will bring back a lot of memories of that. Um, <clears throat> Galatasaray, obviously, there's a massive immigrant population of German, of Turkish people in Germany, so that will definitely... Um, it's going to be a very, very, very popular match um, for the Turkish population in Germany at the Allianz Arena. Uh, went to the Allianz uh, for the UEFA Nations League, was it two years ago? And it's always very thrilling when Germany plays against Turkey. Um, it's another one of their massive derbies uh, for any German team. Um, but I think that um, one shouldn't underestimate FC Copenhagen. As you say, they're a, hard, a very hard time. Um, team to break down so it should be a pretty challenging group let's look at um going straight on to group b and the gunners um, do you have an english team by the way tom uh, my english team's coventry city actually coventry the sky blues what's yes, the situation right. with the with the rico arena are they back at the rico arena now they're back at the Rico Arena. Yeah, I was hoping it would be the Premier League Rico Arena this season because obviously they lost to Luton in the playoff final last season. So there's a bit of a heartbreaking end to a, an unusually good championship campaign from Coventry. But nice. with Mark Robbins, a former Manchester United man, Mark Robbins is the manager. He's, he's done a tremendous job in very, very difficult circumstances there. Um, there's new ownership. The, the Rico was sort of up for sale. And I think former, um, former Newcastle owner Mike Ashley is probably going to be a, a, a familiar name to a lot of people. He sort of poached the ownership of the stadium, unfortunately. Yes. Um, so so this, the, another guy, uh, Doug King, now owns Coventry City, and he wanted to buy the stadium as well. But things weren't quite finished in time. And um, Mike Ashley swooped in and, and pinched it. So now, although we are back at the Rico, unfortunately, we don't own it as a club. So it's uh, difficult times, but nonetheless quite positive on the pitch we've yeah. just sold a few players to the Premier League I think uh, Gustavo Hammer went uh, late in the window to Sheffield United and uh, Victor Gukeres 
went away to uh, to sporting uh, so it's, it's unusual for me as a fan to see us sort of sell players for, for, for big deals so it's nice in a way to, to feel like Coventry are a bit relevant again Absolutely well I remember them in the um, old first division if I'm not mistaken with the Peugeot strip uh, Peugeot on the front and um yeah, it's a classic club and obviously you've had a lot of problems over the years with the ground there and uh, had to do ground sharing with a rugby club. I can't remember whether it's London Wasps or... It was Wasps, yeah, you're right. Wasps indeed, yeah. So Arsenal, um, certainly a club I'm very familiar with. I've been to the Emirates Stadium a lot. Dortmund have played there a few times over the years, but I also went to see them with the FC Cologne in the Europa League a couple of years back and um, always enjoy going to the Emirates, um, one of the more congenial London clubs. Um, <clears throat> Arsenal versus Seville versus PSV versus Lens. Um, I think the French are not to be underestimated. Um, Mario Götze's old club, PSV Eindhoven, are obviously one of the big teams of the um, Eredivisie as well. But I would see Group B being played out between um, Seville and Arsenal. Um, I went to Seville last uh, October when Dortmund played out there and we won 4-1. And I have to say it was one of the most electric and powerful football atmospheres I've ever experienced. Seville is, for me, is a wonderful city, a place I really, really liked when I visited. Um, I've never been to a game there, um, but yeah, I'd love to see them. And I hope for their sake that they can actually translate some of their amazing Europa League strength into Champions League strength as well, because they're, they're so, so good in the Europa League. Um, it would be nice to see them have a deep run in the Champions League again. Um, Arsenal, yeah, I, I really like this young Arsenal squad. They're, they're a really exciting squad for me. It's, it's been uh, sort of a pleasure to watch, as I think Liverpool were a few years ago when they were in the, in the earlier Klopp days. Um, you know, just one of those teams that even as a neutral, you can just kind of sit back and appreciate. Yeah. So I, I hope things go well for Arsenal as well. It's nice to see them back in the Champions League. Um, PSV, I saw here because they played against Sturm Graz in their qualifier for the Champions oh, okay. League. And they then went on to play against uh, Rangers, if I'm not mistaken, afterwards in the next round in the, in the final playoffs before, yeah, before the, the Champions League. That's right. And I thought in all of those ties, uh, PSV looked incredibly strong. So I think they might be coming in uh, as, as a little bit of a dark horse there in that group. Um, as you say, Lons not to be underestimated either. You know, good, a good team in Ligue 1. But I think PSV could be dark horses in that group. Yeah, I think so too. Talking about transfers, we said we'd uh, mentioned some of the main big transfers this summer and uh, Kai Havertz and Declan Rice. Um, uh, he's already getting knocked, Kai Havertz. I mean, he was absolutely stunning. Uh, he's fantastic for Germany. He was stunning at Bayer Leverkusen. It hasn't worked out at Chelsea. Uh, now a, uh, a pretty massive big money transfer, I think in the region, about £60 million to Arsenal. And also Declan Rice, £100 million from West Ham United. Uh, you know, if you think that uh, Jude Bellingham only cost 105 million, I think they've overpaid for Declan Rice. What do you think? Yeah, I agree. It's hard to put transfers side by side, but when you do like that, I, I absolutely agree. You know how, in terms of the, the quality of Bellingham and the price of Bellingham, but sometimes when you need a player, you know the, the value inflates because people know that that you want that player. And I'm not used to seeing Arsenal swoop in with with big deals like that in in my sort of in my memory of, of seeing them but the Havertz one is interesting he's a bit of a, a player who blows hot and cold really he reminds me of Marcel Sabitzer actually to bring things back to a Dortmund perspective they've got yeah. some of this this kind of personality element about them that sometimes they can appear a bit passive and maybe don't get into the game and don't sort of take things by the scruff of the neck and that frustrates fans and it'll be a really interesting thing to watch out for because obviously there's an extremely talented player in Kai Havertz um, he's still only 24 as well can Mikel Arteta get the best from him, I suppose? Can he sort of start playing football with a smile on his face again? I, I hope he can. In terms of Rice, I think it's just about finding the right puzzle pieces, isn't it, for Arsenal? It was an expensive move, um, but he's an English player. Obviously, they're always worth a bit more in, in, terms, uh, in terms of like internal English to English clubs. Um, but I really like the way he wins the ball back. I really like the, the sort of solidity that he brings. And I think... It might be an expensive one, but it might also just be one of those that you've got to sort of suck it up and <laughs> and deal with it. Like, as you yeah. said, you know, you wish that, that Ashraf Hakimi had, had been, you know, had, that the club had shelled out for him. And I think Arsenal had identified Rice and had they missed out on that, even if it saved them another sort of 10, 15 million yeah. by, by not finishing off, you know, that move, that transfer, I think it was probably worth just getting it done and reaching a little bit. Seville and Arsenal with the potential third place finish for PSV. 
I think so. Yeah, you never quite know, but that's what I put it down for at the moment. Yeah, I would go with that. Talking about uh, Marcel Sabitzer, we've just read today that Niklas Fulkrug, um, the Werder Bremen striker, has also signed for Borussia Dortmund. Um, I don't think they're going to be able to close on Amel Bella Kotchap, the defender who's been at uh, Southampton, who's been out of, uh, on injury most of the season. And I'm not really sure how that made sense, the injury. Uh, they could have got him when he was at uh, Farkle Borkham for much less money. You follow... Um, Austrian football, and so you'll be very familiar with Marcel Sabitzer. Um, uh, what, what does Marcel Sabitzer bring? And by the way, I think Niklas Fulkrug, in terms of his personality, is an absolute 100%, uh, as they say in German, passt wie die Faust aufs Auge. It's a perfect fit for Borussia Dortmund and BVB fans. Yeah, it's a really feel-good signing for Krug. I'm excited that, that Dortmund have got him. Uh, it was a good price as well. Um, he's had a couple of really good seasons in terms of being a, a goal scorer. And he's, you know, he's aiming for the Euro 2024 squads. You know, fair enough. And wants to take the move up and play European football with Dortmund. And I'm, I'm all for it, really. I think he's got this direct attitude. He's got this, this like fox-in-the-box quality that maybe some of the other Dortmund strikers don't have this, this just very direct eye for goal. Um, he's a big physical center forward and the crowd, the fans are going to love him basically. So I think that's a really nice move. Although I am scratching my head a little bit as to why they've signed another center forward, unless they're going to move, perhaps Terzic is going to move to, to like two up front or something, play him maybe alongside Allaire, I, I guess it's, I, I'm struggling to see a little bit where he fits in immediately right now, but I'm, I'm looking forward yeah. to seeing that too. Um, and in terms of Sabitzer, like I said, I think he's a player who blows hot and cold at times. Um, I don't know what's going on with Sabitzer sometimes. He can be very passive and just look quite absent. And I, mm -hmm. I think that's a worry for me. Um, but underneath there, you know, he's a very versatile midfield player. He's got different skill sets depending on whether he's a more offensively minded midfielder or if he's in a central, uh, deeper role. He's a really good tackler, surprisingly, quite a slight frame, but a very good tackler, wins the ball back well. His set-piece deliveries and his set-pieces uh, on target as well are really, really good. So there could be a nice uh, set-piece danger there from, from Marcel Sabitzer. Um, and he's a really good finisher at times. You know, he's shown real technical quality from his days at Leipzig. I think it was interesting to see him at Manchester United because I think it meant a lot to him for being the first Austrian to play as a as a red devil and i think that really motivated him and he seemed yeah. to be okay with being a, a bit part player in a way that he wasn't okay at, at bayern so i wonder if if the best way to use master sabitzer is like a really a very good squad player a very good inclusion somebody yes. really good to bring on if there's an injury somebody really good to to have on the bench perhaps or or just start when uh, when the yeah when somebody else isn't isn't available or, or just as a different option sure. but i hope we see more of the uh, you know more of the on form and and yeah, in the mood, Marcel Sabitzer, rather than the kind of passive Marcel yeah. Sabitzer. Yeah, that's exciting. I mean, you talked about the forward line at Dortmund, and obviously they've got Sebastian Allaire, they've got Daniel Marlin, they've got um, Karim Adeyemi. Um, now they've also got Niklas Fulkrug, um, and, um, and I've probably forgotten someone, but let's start with those guys. So what I can perceive is um, for some time, especially since uh, Jaden Sancho left, what was it, uh, almost two years ago now, um, they've had weaknesses on the wing, particularly on the right wing. Um, and I don't think that the young English player, Jamie Bino-Gittens, has quite fulfilled the role as yet, but then he is very, very young, and so there's a lot of potential. There. He's shown potential, for sure. Um, so I can perceive probably Daniel Marlon or uh, Karim Adeyemi playing on the wing, and that will probably also allow for um, Julian Brandt to move to the middle, where I personally I see the biggest weakness in Dortmund's game is that they don't really have a number 10, a classic number 10 distributing and building up the game and being that kind of connector between the, the forward line and, and, and you know, and, and the midfield to, towards, um, you know, the back line. So um, I think Julian Brandt is really key for Dortmund. Um, and, um, but I see um, Marcel Sabitzer being a very good option for the wing. Yes, yeah, certainly. As you say, uh, that right wing position, perhaps a bit of a, a place where he might be needed. And he is a versatile midfield player. As I said, he can really play and feel at home in, in four or five different positions. And I wonder if right wing will be the place where he is the most comfortable. He almost could have fit the mould that, that you said Dortmund were missing there in the middle. But it's interesting. It, it looked like Sabitzer would become that sort of central attacking midfielder for Austria as well and, and be that central point. But instead, that position 
got taken really by Christoph Baumgartner, um, who's now uh, yeah. moved, I think, from Hoffenheim to, to Leipzig. So Savic has not, not been frozen out or pushed out in any way. You know, in the national team for Austria, he plays alongside Baumgartner. But it's interesting that I thought I thought the careers maybe in terms of what positions they play would would form a bit differently over the last couple of years. But uh, yeah, I can definitely see see Sabitzer playing in that right wing position, um, getting the good deliveries in uh, a little bit Beckham esque maybe David Beckham esque perhaps. Interesting, interesting. Well, we're looking forward to some really great free kicks in that case. Um, Felix Metzger has come in from Paul Wolfsburg, where you see Felix Metzger in terms of his position in the team. And um, essentially, um, for me, what I've been looking at, I've been seeing Emre Chan, I think, becoming the new captain is really, really decisive. And what we really do need is some muscle in the midfield uh, for Emre Chan alongside Sally Ochan as a, a defensive midfielder. Um, but what will Felix Mecha's rule be, uh, position be in terms of how does he fit in with Julian Brandt? And is that a good signing for Borussia Dortmund? I think Felix Mecha is a good signing. I think he's quite an exciting signing. Um, I mean, Sebastian Kiel said that he clearly improves the midfield both offensively and defensively so he's got something he's got a lot to live up to and a lot of expectations but what I read from that is that it means maybe Dortmund don't have a solid position for him in mind yet and they'll kind of see how his strengths and weaknesses yes. uh, play out and, and where they can find that space as you mentioned there's I think it's it's, it's quite interesting right now with Dortmund at the beginning of this season. You know, sometimes you go into a season yes. and you pretty much know the 11 or at least 12, 13 players who are always going to be in and you know who's going to be in if somebody's injured. But there are a lot of questions and I wonder if Edin Terzic is trying to sort of erase a few of the weak spots of last season by now switching things around. That's why I wouldn't be surprised if they moved away from the one up front now they've brought in Phil Klug and, and tried mm. something different. So I wonder if we'll see that in midfield too and you'll have Chan perhaps as the captain dropping a little bit further back and you have Nemecha in, nice. in a more sort of real centre midfield role. But I'm struggling to see where everybody fits in, but <laughs> I'm interested to see what Nemecha can bring because he's very fast, he's very strong. He's got some of the qualities. I don't want to say he's a Jude Bellingham type, but he does have some of the qualities that you miss when, when you leave, when you lose a player of, of Jude Bellingham's quality. So he's a really good control. Uh, like He's got a really good control of the ball and plays well under pressure, often uh, you know, picks out really clever passes um, that maybe nice. other players wouldn't see. So I, I can see him fitting fitting well in the central midfield role. But as Keo says, improving offensively and defensively. Um, I wonder if we'll see more of the defensive side uh, in the early parts of this season. I think we absolutely need to see that. And just finally, looking at the last signing, the major signing, Rami Benzabaini, um, I'm beginning to wonder whether Niklas Zula has worked out quite the way Dortmund expected. Uh, where do you see Rami Benzabaini fitting in? I mean, Nico Schlotterbeck, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, he's currently injured. But um, yeah, I mean, uh, what would be Dortmund's back line? I think, to be fair, Mats Hummels is probably... He hasn't got. He probably will have one more season along with Marco Royce, and then probably move on to um, some sort of coaching role with Borussia Dortmund. I would imagine. Yeah, I've been really happy with Hummels at the beginning of this season. Though he seems to have come back. Um, now the captaincy's been taken away. It seems to have been handled quite well by Terzic. I think it's, it, it appears to have lifted some weight off the shoulders of of Royce and Hummels. And as you say, they might not have too long left with the club. And for some, it seems like. Uh, almost, you know, being stripped of the captaincy. It's like a real downgrade, but I think they've played it in a nice way here. And Terzic has said, look, this will take some, take some pressure off. You can focus on your game. And Hummels seem to be doing really well coming in off the back of the preseason and into the season. So I think Hummels will still be a, a starting centre-back for, for much of this season. Uh, mm -hmm. Ben Sibaini, I, I really like what he brings in terms of like bombing down the left flank. Um, he's a really good aerial player as well. And we've seen sometimes, you know, Dortmund uh, struggle when, when teams go a bit route one in some of the games. That's yeah. often where they struggle against, against some of the smaller teams. Or you can't bank on Dortmund picking up three points every week when they play somebody in the bottom half of the table. Um, yes. And I wonder if Ben Sibaini, uh, and he's got, you know, he's a player with a lot of good Bundesliga experience now at a good level with, with Mönchengladbach. Um, it's a signing that I like. Yeah, it's a signing that I like. I think he'll play left back and I think he'll bring um, some, some real attacking quality from, from that fullback position as well. And uh, yeah, I, I hope that he really gets up uh, into his stride really quickly this season. 
Yeah, I think that's a very good analysis. And um, just briefly, your comments on Niklas Zula, um, has he been quite their signing? I mean, he's on 15 million a season, which is more than Marco Royce. So um, although I have to say Marco Royce has had to take an approximately a 50% pay cut to stay on for another season. Um, and as you say, uh, Marco is a totally talismanic player and um, yeah, perhaps uh, moving the captaincy on. I'm not quite sure yet whether Emre Chan is going to be the captain uh, in the long term. But I mean, Emre has always been a player I greatly admired throughout his career, whether it was with Bayer Leverkusen, Liverpool, Bayern München. Uh, Juventus and so on um, and um, he's always been a player I actually managed to interview him uh, last season which was incredible and um, B4B themselves gave us zero nine questions for Emery Chan and um, we were really really happy to do that as you can imagine but what do you think of Nicolas Sula then um, is he proving to be the player uh, or were Bayern right to cast him off? That's a really Good question, actually. That um, I think, I think in their sense, Bayern will be happy that they got rid of him. I think they'll be feeling like they moved him on yeah. at the right time. Um, but that doesn't—that's not to say that Dortmund have, have got a bad deal necessarily in Zula. You're right; he is quite expensive, so maybe in that sense, he is actually uh, a little bit a little bit too much. But there's still there's a very hardworking, very honest, very dedicated player there. Um, he's, you know, a, a real physical powerhouse, and. I think he's one of those players that's he's reflective of how the team are doing. And I think when Dortmund get up ahead of steam and, and they push on in the league, then somebody like Zula becomes a real asset to the team. And, and when they're struggling, so it can be difficult to find the right way to use the skills of Nicolas Zula. But overall, I, I, I like what Dortmund, they still have a few problems, they still have a few things that need to be sorted at the back. But I do see Nicolas Sula has a part to play in that. And you, you were right to mention Schlotterbeck as well, who's obviously got a big part to play too. Um, still uh, struggling with a few niggles at the start of this season and not really being able to yeah. get up any momentum. But that's going to be good to see how that all, all sort of rolls out. But I think at the beginning of this season, uh, Hummels seems to have clearly got the nod ahead of Schlotterbeck, even when he was fit. So I think Hummels and Zula could make a good, a good combination uh, the centre back as the centre back pairing again in the early parts of this season, but mm-hmm. they're not necessarily guaranteed uh, to, to finish the season in that in that status as well. Yeah, absolutely. And um, going back to Atraf Hakimi um, and uh, and also Rafa Guerrero, um, they were wonderful um, on the left side and also uh, going forward as well. And I think that we may miss. Uh, Rafa Guerrero, who I met um, two years ago and was an absolute delightful bloke, a really, really cool bloke and an absolute asset to Borussia Dortmund in the whole time that he's been there. I did, honestly speaking, ask him for an interview uh, and ended up with the email exchanging, but never it never really happened. So I'm not going to hold it against him and I wish uh, wish Rafa uh, well in spite of the fact that he's gone to our, our, uh, our rivals in, in, in the Reds in Munich. Yeah, I think he will be a big loss for, for Dortmund this season. And uh, the only thing, it's a bit unfortunate. It leaves a bit of a sour taste when you feel like a good servant like him feels a bit let down by the club in the way that the, the negotiations were handled and things. And by the time Dortmund wanted him, he said, no, you know, it's too late. You, you had your chance. And, and now I've decided something else. So that's a, that, I feel a bit bad sort of on a personal level that it's that it finished like that between him and the club because I think he could have been really, really important this season. But I do think that in Ben Sibaini, Dortmund have uh, offset a little bit of the loss of Guerrero. And, you know, you, you think about the best times of a player as well. And, and, and Guerrero wasn't always the player that he appeared to be for Dortmund in the second half of last season. So um, I, I think they'll, they'll manage without him. But yes, he, he is a loss as well. Now time for a short announcement. If you love Borussia Dortmund, why not join us for a live game and have a couple of Dortmund Union beers at the Stamtage meetup of the official Borussia Dortmund fan club in London. We meet on match days at the Fitzroy Wine Cellar on Cleveland Street. For more details, head to our Facebook page or give us a call on 07459-394-121. And now back to the show. Group C, Napoli, um, Real Madrid, uh, I think they're called Sporting Braga, I believe. And of course, the mighty uh, Aizan and Union. Um, I don't think that Union could ask for much more in their first season in the Champions League than uh, playing against Napoli at the San Siro, the Maradona Stadium, and uh, getting the incredible Real Madrid at Santiago Bernabeu. Um, 
I, I really think uh, Unión are turning out to be a, quite a sensational club and um, a real addition to the Bundesliga as well. I mean, they've just brought uh, Leonardo Bonucci in and um, a couple of other players. But uh, what's your view on Union Berlin in Group C? I mean, that really is some group for them, isn't it? Yeah, I love the Champions League when you have teams like this who are just looking for big, exciting ties. I don't think Union will mind too much where they finish. In a way, it's about the journey of getting there. I think the fans know that. And I think more fans and more clubs could could do to sort of approach things with that mentality too. You know, you work so hard to get into these positions. They can't go and get too upset if they go and get beaten at the Bernabeu because it's the, the joy has been the journey of getting there and then you've got to enjoy it while you're there. You, do you know what I mean? And Absolutely. I think you do want a dream draw like this for Union and, and it's almost easier when you do get that dream draw and you are the, the outsiders in the group because then you can just take every game as a free hit really and just go for it. And I wouldn't be surprised if they got some decent results in that group. Uh, Braga are definitely a good team, but I think Union won't have too much to fear in their games yeah. against Braga. And then anything that comes from Napoli or Real is is purely a bonus really and if you look at Napoli they have lost Min Jae Kim we we're talking about big European signings obviously Min Jae Kim uh, Korean defender has gone to uh, FC Bayern and you know this guy he's he's one of those centre-backs who's just good at everything he's an absolute beast like incredibly good at, uh, in, in all the facets of, of what you need to be a modern centre-back so he'll be a big big loss for Napoli and I wonder if that opens the door a bit um, to make Real the favourites even though they were the pot two team and uh and say perhaps Union do have a chance. Maybe they do. Napoli and Union, um, or Napoli, uh, well, certainly I'd say a third place finish for Union Berlin. I'll go, yeah, I'll go, I'll, I'll stick my neck on the line and say Real, Union, and then Napoli and Braga. Sensational, love it. And which game would you absolutely love to be at? I mean, for me, I think um, it's unfortunately it's going to be at the Berlin Olympiastadion. I just love that story about the Union Berlin fans building their own stadium with their hands. And uh, and also during the World Cup 2014, you could bring your own armchair or sofa to the stadium and watch the game. Absolutely. Union are just so classic. And what a great strip as well. The only thing I can never forgive them for is the fact that they didn't keep Nevin Subotic on. <laughs> yeah, the old Dortmund allegiances, uh, obviously... Still, still running very strongly, and understandably, I suppose. But yeah, a lot of great games. Actually, I love the stadium away in Braga as well. So if I'm going to go for an outside left field answer, I'd go to the game away at Braga because that's such a cool stadium with the the rock face uh, built in at the one end. You know, I say built in the stadium built into the rock face, really. I need to see this. I absolutely need to see this. And Portuguese teams are always exciting to watch and very hard to grind down. Um, Talking about Portuguese teams, Group D is led by the mighty Benfica um, and um, who Dortmund have played uh, a number of times over the years and uh, and then Inter Milan and the other Milanese team and of course this is a group for you because it's got RB Salzburg um, and Real Sociedad so um, uh, Alex Isak's former team I'm really glad to see Real Sociedad back in the in the champions um, so um yeah, how well do you think the Austrian team, Albert uh, Salzburg, can do uh, against teams like Inter Milan and Benfica? Um... I think, honestly, it'll be a step too far for them. As you said, this is the group for me, you know, uh, working in Austrian football. That's the one that I was immediately looking into uh, once the draw was made. Um, it's a young Salzburg team. It's a, an inexperienced Salzburg team, as it always is, but this year even more so. And they lack the kind of out-and-out stars that they had in previous seasons where they had Soboslai, where they had Holland, players like that. They've still got a very, very good squad, don't get me wrong. But it's a, a very inexperienced squad and it's going to be a season of learning for them in the Champions League this year. I think with uh, La Real in the fourth seed pot there from La Liga, I think nice. Salzburg, would, they, would take, they would take third place uh, already. I think going to, to the San Siro uh, to play against Inter, it's going to be really difficult. And the interesting one is perhaps playing against uh, Benfica because it's Roger Schmidt's Benfica. So um, there's, yeah. there's some stories there between, between Salzburg and Roger Schmidt. So <laughs> I'm looking forward to seeing all of them. But um, again, I was hoping Salzburg would get uh, maybe an easier, in, in inverted commas, team in the fourth pot and then uh, they could look to make that third place their own but I think it's going to be a real battle between Sociedad and Salzburg for, for P3 there and again I don't think either Inter or Benfica are going to sweep this group clean and, and it's easier if you're aiming for third you sort of want one team to just 
take points off everybody. And I'm not sure. I think it should be a really good battle between Benfica and Inter. Maybe that opens the door for, for somebody else if, if they do very well. But another, a yeah. bit of a low-key uh, group of death there as well. <laughs> Talking about signings, um, very interesting to see that Ansu Fati is on his way from Barcelona to Brighton, who have lost Alexis um, McAllister to Liverpool. Um, I think Liverpool will be delighted with that signing, along along with um, the Japanese player Endo. Um, I think uh, they, those are two absolutely stunning signings, and I'm really hoping that um, they're not about to lose... Um, uh, Salah to uh, to a Saudi club and uh, let's leave the Saudis aside they're getting way too much press coverage um, for not very many uh, reasons in my opinion apart from the fact they're spending an awful lot of money but um, pretty exciting to see what Brighton are doing Ansu Fati what an amazing signing for them he's going out on loan from Barcelona the deal isn't confirmed it's just broke news today but um, how much are they going to be missing Alexis McAllister? And do you think that Ansu Fati will be well suited to the um, English Premier League? Um, it, it's one of those moves, I, as you said, it's not quite finished yet. And I just saw it before we came on for this. And it definitely raises an eyebrow. It's just cool, isn't it, to see Ansu Fati playing at, uh, at Brighton. It's going to be really yeah. good for the Brighton fans. I, I think he'll be a bit of a cult hero there. And they'll be looking back in a few years. Do you remember that time Ansu Fati was playing for, for Brighton? But, Absolutely. Maybe that's to sell themselves a little bit short there because actually they've got so many other great players or they've had so many other great players that, that it's not like Ansu Fati stands out in that sense. You know, as you said, they've lost Alexis McAllister and they've lost um, Moises Caicedo as well this summer. Um, they're selling players, you know, they're making so much money selling these great players and they're doing really well finding good players and selling them on. So I'm happy for them that they're playing European football themselves this season too. Um, and they've got a nice group down in the Europa League. Um, but yeah, I think to mention from from the Liverpool perspective, as you said about uh, McAllister, I think he's such a good, versatile player, really good on the ball under pressure. Um, I, I don't see him being a bad deal for, for Liverpool at all. No, absolutely not. Yeah, Lazio are going to be a strong proposition. I think it's going to be a step too far for Celtic. Um, the Scottish League is, is improving and Celtic themselves are improving a lot too. But I think this will be uh, a very, very tough task for Celtic from pot four. Um, interesting that Feyenoord are the, the pot one team there. Um, Feyenoord have got uh, Gernot Trauner, the Austrian centre-back who used to play for Lask, actually. Um, he, was a, he was a cult figure at Lask and, and a long-term captain at Lask. And now he's moved on to Feyenoord and he wears his little nasal strip across the nose and he's got a bald head. So he's, uh, he's become a cult, cult hero at Feyenoord as the, the, the tough centre-back. With he, He's got not very much pace, but he's got an incredible uh, reading of the game. So he gets himself out of trouble by anticipating these things a mile off. So I'm really looking forward to seeing uh, Trauner playing in the Champions League from the Austrian perspective. That's really, really cool. Um, I don't know uh, what they'll be able to do against the might of uh, Atletico Madrid, but um, I think Feyenoord v Lazio will be the, the crunch game there for for second and third in that group, um, assuming that both Feyenoord and Lazio will be able to take close to maximum points maybe off, uh, off yeah. the Celtic I tend to agree and I think that it's going to be another disappointing season for Celtic and I can only hope that they drop down to the Europa League because they're such a congenial club and uh, we had um, Joe O'Rourke who I can only recommend to you the General Secretary of the Celtic Supporters Associations uh, who heads up all the fan clubs and uh, he is such a brilliant guy so just saying a big shout out hi to Joe in Glasgow there what a brilliant lad uh, I met him at the um, Best of World Football Awards, um, uh, the FIFA Best of World Football Awards, which is an absolutely stunning event to go to, I have to say. Being in the same room with Messi and Ronaldo was quite humbling, to say the least. Very so, nice. So it's, yeah, Atletico and probably Lazio to go through in the group. Um, and uh, Group G, uh, Manchester City, well... What can you say? Leipzig, uh, Red Star Belgrade, who you brilliantly pronounced as Sevena I can't even do that. That's nine, they were the 1991 Champions League winners. That I do much know. Um, and uh, Young Boys Bern, uh, which are David Wagner's old club. My local team is Norwich City. So I've had the chance to interview David Wagner a few times. And he is a really, really good bloke. And he's doing really well. Uh, in the championship as well. They've taken 10 points from four games so far and um, yeah, it's looking good. But um, who do you see um, progressing from Group G? I think it's got to be Man City and uh, Leipzig really. 
Yeah, it's Man City plus one, isn't it? And I think you would go for Leipzig. They they do play a really nice brand of football. Um, yeah, you've done better with Savena Zvezda than Joe Cole managed yesterday at the draw. That was quite funny. <laughs> yeah. See Joe Cole. He looked at the he looked at the uh, the little piece of paper as he took it out and just uh, just went for uh, Red Star Belgrade instead, <laughs> which is you know c- completely fair enough. But he wasn't even going to give it a go. But I think uh, young boys and Savena Zvezda are. Um, both kind of going to be feeling quite confident because they're both quite dominant forces in, in their domestic football at the moment. They both uh, managed to just, yeah, just pull away from the opposition mostly in their, in their domestic leagues. And so they're coming in, you know, I mean, young boys won the league by about 16 points, I think 17 points last season. So they've got yeah. a lot of momentum on their side and they'll, they'll fancy it, even though uh, they are, you know, the outsiders in that group, but still, I think you're right. I can't really look past city and Leipzig getting the top two spots there. No, absolutely right. I think um, City have all the attributes to go all the way. Um, just talking then briefly before we come on to the last group, Group H, who is your who are your key signings, your transfers this summer? I think uh, Mickey van der Veen to Tottenham Hotspurs is a fantastic signing. But my one to watch out for is actually, actually Victor Boniface. I think that Bayer Leverkusen have picked up a stunning striker there. Yeah, really like that move. Uh, big, tall, strong centre forward. Um, started off the season brilliantly already. And, you know, he's been playing at Union Saint-Gilloise, who are actually coming to Austria as well in that uh, in that group with Liverpool. So we'll see a lot of Union Saint-Gilloise this season. Um, he's going to be a big loss for them. But um, he's like he likes that sort of 4-3-3, the central position up top in the 4-3-3. And I think that fits quite well with Leverkusen. And uh, that brings me back to the other player you mentioned, Mickey van der Ven. Um, because I think he's the perfect signing in terms of a manager identifying what system they want to play and finding somebody to fit uh-huh. that system. Because Postacoglu uh, is going to push forward. He's going to play attacking football. He's going to make a big change at Tottenham this season. And if you're going to do that, you're going to leave yourself exposed. What do you need? You need a very, very fast centre-back or fast defender. And uh, I think van der Ven was, the, was the, rated the quickest player in the league as a defender at uh, Wolfsburg. So, yeah, I think they've, they've, they've got it right with that one. Absolutely stunning. I agree with you. I think that's about the right assessment. And um, also Kevin Schader at um, Brentford is a player to watch out for, I think. But um, he's certainly not in the in the mould of um, players like um, Ansu Fati, uh, Alexis McAllister, or even Mickey van den Veen. Um, Group G, finally, um, before we just uh, find out a little bit more about where we can find you and also give a prediction for Borussia Dortmund's final season. Um, where they're going to finish in the league. Uh, group H is um, Barcelona. I think I said Group G for a second there. Barca, Porto, uh, Shakhtar Donetsk and Antwerp. And I have to say a quick shout out to Dennis Rentenar, the former Borussia Dortmund goalkeeper uh, from 2006, who's a great friend of the London fan club and also a friend of mine. And uh, he is the new goalkeeper coach at Shakhtar Donetsk. So he told me that the players there are really excited about going out to play at the uh, at Barcelona, at the Camp Nou, a ground which I've been to several times. Um, and uh, it's, 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 it's a good old ground. And, but it's, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it certainly needs updating and I understand that's going to happen pretty soon. So I'm looking forward to seeing that. Um, Barca have not had the best finances in recent years. Uh, well, that was until Spotify came in with a 750 million or is it 500 million? I don't know, some insane amount of money basically to sponsor the club. So um, I'd love to see Shakhtar go through with Barcelona. And I think Shakhtar are going to be a tough team to break down. But um, I have to say I would probably give it to Barcelona and Porto. Yeah, Shakhtar always... Champions League dark horses in a way um, but they're playing obviously under very very difficult conditions at the moment and it's good to see them back in the Champions League yeah, good yeah. that they're going to be able to enjoy games like that one against Barcelona um, yeah just really tough for Shakhtar at the moment but they did well last time they were in the Champions League they, they proved they've got this pedigree they know what to do in group stages they play well but um, I think Porto are probably a step up the Portuguese league I think the top couple of teams in the Portuguese league have, yeah. have just pushed on a little bit in recent seasons and I think Benfica and Porto now are probably a little bit better than they were a couple of years ago so I think Porto Shakhtar uh, has all the makings of a very interesting Champions League tie and I think both teams will know that uh, there's a lot on the line in those games Barcelona 
you're never quite sure what you're going to see at the moment. As you say, since the sort of financial struggles have, have hit, they can still put it together and, and be a very, very good team with uh, the chances of, of going deep into the knockouts. But you could also imagine them struggling as well against the likes of Porto and maybe even Shakhtar. Uh, Antwerp are definitely another team that you'd have to put in the dark horses category but i think it's yeah. never reached too far to suggest you know although they've done very very well in in recent seasons and, and they fully deserve to be where they are in the champions league um Barca, porto and shakhtar yeah it, they'd be doing very well to get top three in that group how cool is it to see ilkay gundogan and robert Lewandowski pairing up against Barca? that is really from bbb fan perspective that's pretty cool yeah absolutely i mean I miss I miss Gundogan at <laughs> at Dortmund still. He's oh. one of those players that you just you wish they were still there. But so yeah, nice to see them doing well anyway. And I suppose obviously Lewandowski falls into that category too, of course. Couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more. I think Levy's a player which Dortmund players uh, fans have left behind them a long time ago. And hopefully with Niklas Fulkrug, we've got a similar fox in the box who can uh, pick up a lot of uh, goals. He's uh, I think he got 16 in 28 games last season. He's definitely a guy who can put the balls away and um, we're looking forward to seeing that so just finally before we come to your social media where we can find your um your podcast and any other work that you want to promote um Dortmund's finished this season um I think like you were saying earlier it's going to be a very very interesting season where they're going to have to find their feet and try to replace Jude Belling and probably change the system of play a lot um, and it's looking somewhat tentative, apart from the uh, fact that they were unbeaten in the friendlies uh, this summer. First two games have been relatively unimpressive, I think, and they've relied a lot on the back line and also particularly on Gregor Koble. So I think Dortmund probably are going to be up against it this season with uh, the double Pokal winners, RB Leipzig, probably sneaking into second place. And I see um, Bayer Leverkusen, interestingly enough. Um, Alonso, I think, is doing a stunning job. Um, we mentioned Victor Bonifacio. So in terms of finish, I think Dortmund probably will finish in the top four. I have to agree with you there. And unfortunately, you know, when you go so close to winning the title, you really want to get back at it and have another crack at it and, and go one better. But I think if all signs probably suggest that Bayern are going to pull away from Dortmund this season in comparison to last year. And uh, I think you're right. I think getting back into the Champions League has to be target number one. And I do think, though, that Dortmund do have the team to achieve that for sure. I think there can still be a lot of good football played. They can look back and try and, and rely again on this brilliant home records and they were so good at home uh, down the stretch last season up until yeah. the final day of course and you know hopefully they can they can bring that back and, and just make it fortress best final study or once again and they've got the attributes to get into the top four as we said earlier I'm excited by Ben Sibaini I'm excited by Fulkrug coming in um, I'm excited to see if there's a change of, of formation a change of, of tactics from Edin Terzic um, I think there's potential in there certainly to, to be top three once again Absolutely. Um, top three, top four. Uh, Tom, you've been a fantastic guest. Thank you so much. My apologies for the delays today. Um, trying to drive from Norwich to London was something else, I have to tell you. And I'm only halfway because uh, I've got to all, get all the way up to Leicester this afternoon. So um, I had to stop touch down somewhere and catch up with Tom Midler. We've been trying to reach each other for a, a few weeks, so finally we managed to organise it. Um, you've been a wonderful guest. By the way, whereabouts in England are you from? Are you from the Coventry region? Yeah, thanks a lot for having me on. Um, I'm from a little bit south of Coventry, actually, from Gloucestershire. Um, I support Coventry because they weren't even the closest Premier League team when I was a child, but um, I think Villa would have been my closest Premier League team. But um, a, a friend of my father supported Coventry and, and was a season ticket holder. And my family are not really football fans, so we didn't really know how to get tickets or how to go along to the, the old Premiership days when Coventry were playing the likes of Manchester United, Newcastle United. And probably was so I used to get tickets through, through this guy and, uh, and ended up, uh, my first football experiences were, were at Coventry. So, so I've loved them ever since. Nice one. Fantastic. Where can we find you? Where can people connect with the other Bundesliga show? Um, Twitter's the best place, or X, I suppose, as you have to call it now, unfortunately. Twitter uh, forward slash the other Bundesliga. Um, we have uh, Buy Me A Coffee as well at uh, Buy Me A Coffee forward slash other Bundesliga. But uh, yeah, we have lots of stuff. We're around the grounds every week, basically covering Austrian football. So whatever you're into, if it's podcasts or just uh, pictures of nice places when we go around the grounds or match reports and things like that, uh, anything from Austrian football about good young players coming through, it's a good place to get to know. You know, people might think, why, why should I follow an Austrian football account? But there's so many 
really, really talented young players coming through Austria. And a lot of those players then go on to the German Bundesliga as well. So um, it's a great place for, for young talent development. And we cover all of that over on the, on Twitter at uh, Twitter forward slash the other Bundesliga, or I think at other Bundesliga is our, is our handle. It's easiest to find us there. Other Bundesliga. Absolutely fantastic, Tom. Thank you so much for now. We look forward to the, uh, the uh, schedule to come out for the Champions League on Saturday afternoon and uh, some great, fantastic games ahead. Thank you so much, Tom. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. Good luck. You're doing wonderful work there in Austria. And um, I'll certainly make sure to uh, get in touch when I come over to watch Austria Salzburg before not too long. Thank you so much. Alles Gute, Tom, and uh, Dankeschön. Alles Gute, vielen Dank and uh, yeah, viel Erfolg für diese Saison. Borussia Dortmund.